Well, it is good to be here with you this morning, and it's really a privilege to be able to share God's Word with you. And, and yes, I am from Harrisonville, but uh, most importantly, I'm friends with Barb Beard, so I figure I'm as good as gold if I'm friends with her. Uh, at the same time, though, it's a lot of pressure, because somebody said, if Barb recommended you, then we know you're going to be good. And I thought, oh boy, should I leave now or stick around? So, uh, but I am, I am friends with Barb Beard, and had met uh, Rick and Barb when they were at Sycamore Grove, and uh, my family loves, loves Barb and, and love Dick, Rick very deeply, and uh, so it means a lot to us to have, to have Barb in our life and to be here with you this morning. And uh, so I want to just encourage you as we start to open up in your Bible to, to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, and we're going to study verses 23 to 27 this morning. One other thing I did want to say, I wanted to commend your congregation. So the, the hospice that I work for is Heartland Hospice out of Butler. That's where our office is at. And uh, we actually send out promotional flyers for grief support groups. And uh, your church is on the list. We, we promote your group. And we are so happy to hear that as a congregation, you see the need to minister to grieving people. There, I can tell you there is a huge need. And that uh, that's a time of life when uh, God... Um, often draws unbelievers to himself uh, and, and grows believers as they're experiencing that, that time of grief. So just wanted to commend you as a congregation that you're committed to, to ministering to grieving people as well. Really encouraged by that, and hopefully we can send some people your way. So Luke chapter 9, verses 23 to 27, I want to read those together. This is Jesus speaking. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that uh, the Holy Spirit would use the truth of your word to penetrate our hearts this morning. I pray that uh, I would become less and less, that Christ might become more and more. I pray that uh, in each of our hearts this morning, we would be receptive by your grace to the truth you've revealed. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm gonna guess that you're probably familiar with that English proverb that is filled with wisdom. You can't have your cake and eat it too. You are familiar. Did you know that that saying has been around for at least 500 years? In 1546, a book was published with this title, and I'm not making it up, a dialogue containing the number and effect of all the Proverbs in the English tongue. 
So kids, no TV, no internet, people extremely bored. Books like these are published. In that must-read publication, the saying went like this. Would you both eat your cake and have it still? Meaning, if you want to eat your cake now, you can't have it later. These two things are mutually exclusive. It's impossible to have it both ways. Now, why do you think that we've had this saying at least for the past 500 years? Could it be because we want to eat our cake now and eat our cake later too, right? We, we don't want to make any trade-offs. We want what we want now and we want what we want later. Sadly, we might be tempted to take that approach into following Jesus as well. We might like to eat our cake, that is, enjoy this world on our terms, living for ourselves, and have it still. That is, get the blessings and benefits of following Jesus. We might be tempted to keep parts of our lives for our our selfish interests while still getting blessing and going to heaven without all the, the commitment or the challenges that go with following Christ. Commenting on this, one author, John Stott, wrote this. In countries to which Christian civilization has spread, large numbers of people have covered themselves with a decent but thin veneer of Christianity. They have allowed themselves to become somewhat involved, enough to be respectable, but not enough to be uncomfortable. Their religion is a great soft cushion. It protects them from the hard unpleasantness of life while changing its place and shape to suit their convenience. Now there's just only one problem with that. Jesus does not give us that option. The commitment and the challenges that are included with following Christ must be accepted. We cannot have our cake and eat it too if we want to be subjects in his kingdom. In the verses that I just read, it says that Jesus was speaking to all. We're informed in Mark chapter 8, verse 34, that Jesus actually summoned the crowds along with his disciples. I point that out because Jesus isn't speaking to his disciples, telling them how to go deeper with him. He's telling anybody and everybody, if you want to be a follower of mine, here's what's involved with it. Here's the commitment. Here's the challenges that you agree to if you want to be my follower. And they're difficult. The conditions that Jesus lays down, they are difficult to accept, yet they are worth it in light of eternity. That's the main point. If you're taking notes, you can jot this down. The conditions of following Jesus will be difficult in this life, but they are worth it in light of eternity. We should expect this, shouldn't we? It was the same way for our Lord Jesus. 
his first coming to earth, was it fun, easy? No, he was mocked, ridiculed, rejected. He suffered and died. But he is coming back in glory. The cross goes before the crown. And as his followers, it will be the same for us. For our study this morning, we're going to divide this passage into two parts. In part one, we're going to study the difficult conditions we must accept to be followers of Jesus. That's in verse 23. In part two, we're going to see why it's worth it to accept those conditions in light of eternity. That's verses 24 through 26. So we begin in verse 23 where Jesus lays down the conditions, the three conditions we must accept to become his followers. See if you can find them with me. Verse 23. If anyone would come after me, one, let him deny himself, and two, take up his cross daily, and three, follow me. If anyone desires to be my follower. Here are the conditions. Number one, deny yourself. The word deny is the same word used when Peter denied he knew Christ three times. So this is talking about disregarding ourself, our, our selfish interests, not even acknowledging them. One commentator put it this way, this mandates a rejection of a life based on self-interest and self-fulfillment. Instead, a disciple is to be one who seeks to fulfill the will and the teachings of Christ. Jesus said it a little differently in Luke chapter 14, verse 26. It's a shock to the system to hear these words come from the lips of the Savior. He said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus certainly isn't suggesting, suggesting we hate, but he is saying in the strongest terms that you must be loyal to him even above your own family, and certainly above your own selfish desires. You must put aside living for self if you want to be his follower. It's important to note that this doesn't mean denying ourselves of all pleasure. We are commanded in Scripture to rejoice in the Lord, right? We have the joy of the Holy Spirit, this also isn't suggesting that we give up something like chocolate for one season a year, though that might be a good idea sometimes. Jesus is calling each of us to change our fundamental commitment in life. Our number one commitment as his follower is no longer to me, myself, and I. My number one commitment is to Jesus. By the way, this is part of repentance, unfortunately a word that's fallen out of favor 
This is part of repentance. We are to turn away from self and sin to Christ in faith. That's what repentance is. We are to call people to do as they become followers in Jesus. And the reason is, as we become followers of Christ, the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to see we cannot save ourselves from God's wrath. We mourn over our sinfulness, how we've dishonored God, and we turn away from loving ourselves above all. That's repentance. That's a work of God in our hearts. And so Jesus says, if you want to be my follower, you must, number one, you must deny yourself. Change your fundamental commitment in life. It's not about you. Second condition he gives us, it's every bit as challenging. Take up your cross daily. So you deny yourself first. Second, take up your cross daily. Now often we might hear somebody say something like, well, this is just my cross to bear. When they're talking about maybe a health concern or a stubborn spouse. And those things certainly can be trials. We have difficulties in this life. But that isn't what Jesus is talking about here. In the verse just prior, chapter 9, verse 22, Jesus is setting the expectations of his disciples about his own mission and his first coming. And he says, the son of man must, be, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed on a cross and on the third day be raised. What does the cross represent? It repre- represents the suffering the rejection, and possibly even death for the sake of Jesus and his word. So taking up our cross daily is a willingness, a commitment even, to suffer whatever may come for identifying myself wholeheartedly with Jesus and his message, his gospel. And it's not begrudging submission, not just grin and bear it, but a willing and joyful submission to the will of God, even if it requires pain. Our Lord Jesus, of course, always the example, but certainly the example of this. Prior to going to the cross and experience that agony, you remember how he prayed. He said, Father, if there be any other way, please take this cup from me, this suffering. But... Not my will, but yours be done. That's what our attitude is to be like each day. It's the commitment we make initially when we first come to Christ for salvation, and it's the attitude that we seek to grow in by his grace day after day. I will accept suffering willingly and gladly if that's what following Jesus takes today. The Apostle Paul exemplifies this attitude in Acts chapter 20, verses 22 through 24. I'll just share them. He said there, And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. 
but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Lord, help us to take on that attitude, to cultivate it daily, to take up our cross and to follow Jesus, right? So let me ask you, are you willing to identify yourself with Jesus in such a way that it could be met with conflict, maybe awkwardness, maybe opposition, maybe rejection, maybe even suffering? Are you willing to live each day, not for yourself, but for the will of the Lord and Savior who purchased eternal life for his people by his own suffering, rejection, and death? And the hard truth is, if I'm not willing, if you're not willing, then we cannot be disciples of Jesus Christ. We must come to see his holiness and grace the magnitude of his sacrifice to satisfy the wrath of God in place of sinners who deserve hell. We need to appropriately account for the fact that he is risen, that he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and that he is poised to come again to judge the living and the dead. And when, by God's grace, the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to see that, we will be willing, we will make the commitment to take up our cross daily, imperfectly, imperfectly, but consistently. So you must deny yourself. You must take up your cross daily. And then the third condition that Jesus names here in verse 23, you must follow him. He says, follow me. It sounds simple. But here's what's involved in this condition. It means that you're willing to make Jesus your Lord and teacher who you seek to imitate and obey as your number one priority in life. It means that Jesus isn't just one part of your life, but in fact, he is the focus of everything in your life. I don't know if uh, you've ever done this when I was Younger, I used to try to read like time management books or like personal goal setting books. And then when I failed at whatever system was recommended in that book, I I just gave up on them. But uh, there was kind of an illustration that these books uh, had in common. And that was kind of like your your life, your time. It's kind of like a pie chart, right? So there's like a slice of the pie that's your work. There's a slice of the pie that's your family. There's a slice of the pie that's your social life. And then there's a slice that's your spiritual life. Here's the problem with that. Jesus is not saying, I want a part of that. I want a piece of the pie. No, Jesus is saying, if you want to be my follower, I'm taking the whole. I want the whole of your life. And then those other areas, your marriage, your parenting, etc., I'm going to be Lord over those areas. Your, your intention is to be to follow my will in all those areas. That's the commitment that Jesus is calling for here. Both when we first come to him for salvation, trusting by grace through faith that we will be 
given eternal life and forgiveness of sins, and in our daily life thereafter, growing in grace. Similar to, to marriage, I think, on wedding day, what do you do? You make your commitment, right? You come into that, that covenant relationship, and then every day thereafter, you keep working at it, right? Well, we're the bride of Christ. It's the same thing with us. Deny yourself, take up your cross daily, follow me. These are not easy conditions, are they? These are difficult, at least for me. My, my sinful nature craves self-indulgence, self-importance, being in charge of my own life, having things on my own terms. But Jesus confronts that. He says, no, you don't get to, to suit me to your convenience. Here are my conditions for becoming follower of mine. We don't get to avoid the commitment and the challenges that come with it. Why do you think the Apostle Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 15, 19? Why do you think he said this? If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. That's an astounding statement, isn't it? Why would he say that? Because this is not our best life now, and that is not the gospel. It is difficult in this life to accept the conditions with all the commitment and challenges involved with it, but we do so in light of eternity. In light of eternity. And that's exactly where Jesus turns his attention next. If you're like me, you tend to make this life ultimate. It's so big, you know. I've got these goals that I want to accomplish. But Jesus wants us to turn our attention towards eternity, the forever hereafter that's awaiting. So Jesus knows we're going to be challenged by these three conditions he's just laid down. And he gives us three reasons why it's eternally worthwhile to accept what he's just said. Just look real fast. Verse 24, 25, and 26 all begin with the same word, right? For whoever would. For what does it profit? For whoever is ashamed. Jesus is giving us the logical explanation, the, the basis, the reason why it's eternally worthwhile to accept the conditions he's just laid down. And I've kind of summarized these in an applicational way. I'll just give you one reason at a time. The first reason in verse 24 is this. Losing now is preserving later. Losing now is preserving later. Verse 24, Jesus says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. In other words, if your life in this world is most important to you, you're not gonna wanna do anything that might endanger your safety, your health, your comfort, your dreams. 
You're trying to hang on to it. Yet in so doing, you're actually giving yourself up potentially to eternal damnation. On the other hand, what Jesus wants us to do in heeding this warning is to lose our lives for his sake, to abandon self-preservation at all costs in order to know and love and serve Jesus. So ultimately, it's not hanging on to this life that will keep us safe. The safest thing to do, if you want to preserve the well-being of your soul for eternity, lose yourself for Christ and his kingdom. And by the way, I don't think this is saying you, you need to become a martyr to accomplish that end. Rather, it's calling us to resist the temptation to cherish our safety and our comfort in this life above the joy of following and serving Jesus. This is certainly not an invitation to be irresponsible and reckless, but rather a call to let go of our own dream of the good life and the here and now in order to deny ourselves, to take up our cross daily, and to follow Jesus. And we do that because losing now is actually preserving later. And secondly, we do that because sacrificing now is profiting later. Verse 25, the second reason that Jesus gives us. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? I often admire Jesus' ability to ask great questions. And isn't this a question that highlights what is truly of eternal value? Even in the best case scenario, let's say you could have anything and everything that you ever dreamed of in this life. Would that be a fair trade for eternal destruction? Would that be a fair trade to miss out on fellowship with God for all eternity? Is that ultimately profitable for you? Or would you profit more eternally from denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following Jesus. There's a, an example of this just a few chapters later in, in Luke 16. I'll invite you to turn there if you'd like. It highlights this same point that Jesus is making. Verse 19 and following is where I'll be reading, and this is the, the story of the rich man and Lazarus. You might be familiar It's a picture of one person who had it all in this life, yet suffers eternal destruction, and then a picture of someone who had absolutely nothing, terrible life, but enjoys eternity in, the fellowship, in fellowship with God. Verse 19, it says, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. 
And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. So he's in hell, they're in heaven. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, listen to this. Child, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things. In Lazarus, in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. That's a shocking illustration, isn't it? Would you have all the good things in your lifetime and exchange that for eternal torment and anguish apart from God? Or would you be willing, I I don't want to have sores that dogs lick, I'm not signing up for that, but if you had just a terrible existence for the short little period of time we're here, I mean, what's 100 years in light of eternity even? The short little time that we're here, even if it was just a miserable existence, you wouldn't trade that for eternity in fellowship with the God of the universe, with the Lord and Savior who's still got the nail-scarred hands and feet. No, it's not worth it to exchange having anything and everything we could now instead of having eternal life with God. In fact, if you need to sacrifice some earthly pleasure in order to follow Jesus, the joy you'll have in fellowship with God now and for all eternity will make it seem like a bargain, best deal you ever made. Following Jesus is difficult now, right? There might be sacrifice involved, but it's worth it because there is profit later, eternal profit. That's the second reason we accept these conditions that Jesus has laid down. And the third reason that Jesus gives here, I'm saying it this way, shame now is glory later. Verse 26, for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Right? You see, Jesus is talking about his return, his second coming. On that day, he will judge. He will separate the the sheep from the goats. It's not the day that you would want Jesus to be ashamed of you. You agree? And yet we may be tempted in this life to be ashamed of him, of our association with him. Luke chapter 12, verse 8 and 9 clarifies this. Jesus said there, And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. So to be ashamed of Jesus is to kind of hide our affiliation with him, not not fully identify ourselves with him. Maybe keep it kind of private. Why would we be tempted to do that? 
Why might we be tempted to? Why, why might we be tempted not to, to speak his word as kindly, but also as, as boldly as he calls us to? Why does Jesus need to issue this warning? Well, it's obvious. We might be afraid of the shame that comes from man. We might be ashamed of the reaction of others. Some of the the Jewish leaders during the first coming of, of Christ provide a tragic example of this in the Gospel of John. Let me just use them as an example and and see if this doesn't cut to your heart as it does mine. It says, nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him. Some of these Jewish leaders, they, they thought this is the guy, this is the Messiah. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Which do you love more? The praise of men, which best case scenario will last temporarily a short period of time in this life? Or do you love more the praise of God, which will echo for all eternity in the kingdom of Jesus? Are you tempted to maybe press the the mute button when it comes to talking about Jesus around certain people? Are you afraid to openly identify yourself as a Christ follower? Well, heed this warning. Heed this warning. This is a gracious warning. Jesus says if we cower in fear of man, if we seek the praise of man, When he returns, he will be ashamed of us on judgment day. If we will not confess him before men, if we will not acknowledge him before men, he will be denied before the angels of God. Would you rather endure the shame of man now, potentially? Some people might appreciate, actually, to hear the hope of the gospel, but... Would you, would you potentially endure the shame of man? Or is the shame of the Lord Jesus when he returns, is that just even unthinkable to you? Now, if you're a Bible reader, you're going to immediately think of one person, right, in the Bible. Who is it? Who are you thinking about when you think about denying Christ? Peter, right? Should we think of Peter as condemned in hell because of these words of Christ, this warning. Obviously not. Obviously not. We we know that at a later point in Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches boldly and publicly about Christ, right? Then in Acts chapter 4, the Sanhedrin, a group of Jewish religious leaders, they, they want Peter to quit preaching. They want to shut him up, and he won't do it. Maybe you know that saying, that we must obey God rather than men. Right? He had a change of heart. By the grace of God and the work of the Spirit of God, he he grew to the point where he wasn't afraid of the response of men. And here's the point. We, We realize that we are not perfect as followers of Christ. We are not going to be perfect in self denial, taking up our cross daily, and following Jesus. 
We are saved by God's grace. Yet it is in view of God's grace and by the enabling power of God's grace that we respond to Jesus with this commitment to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow Jesus, whatever the cost may be. And the reason we do so is not because we want our best life now, or we want God to be our sidekick who makes all of our dreams possible. We do so in view of the day when the Savior King returns in glory and establishes his kingdom. That's what we're living for. That's what we keep our eyes on. So let me finish by asking you a question. How, how do you hear Jesus' words to you this morning? How do you hear them? Not, not do you hear what he's saying, but how do you hear his tone in what he's saying? Do you hear these as harsh demands from an indifferent Lord? We shouldn't hear them that way. These are words of grace explaining what you and I need to do today as followers of Jesus. He wants all to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. The warnings that he gives here of eternal damnation are meant to encourage us to respond rightly and to keep us in his grace. I know for a fact that these are words of grace because of verse 27. Hang with me here. It may not make sense at first. Jesus said, but I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. You say, where's the grace at there? Well, Jesus is setting up an event that we call the transfiguration. Maybe in, in your Bible, the next paragraph heading is the transfiguration. That's what's coming next. Peter, James, and John are going to go up on a mountain, and they're going to see Jesus' appearance change. He'll be, be shining brightly. You know, Moses and Elijah are there. And what Jesus is doing is giving them a sneak preview of the glory that is coming when he returns. Now, why does he do that, especially after saying what he's just said? He's doing that so his followers then and now would recognize him for who he is. The Savior King who came to suffer at his first coming, but who will who will come again for glory at his second coming. In the same way, following Jesus involves difficulty now for us as his followers, but glory to come then. It is eternally worthwhile to deny yourself, to take up your cross daily, and to follow Jesus. He is worthy of that. And his eternal plan is worthwhile for each of us who will accept his conditions rather than try to adjust the conditions to suit our own convenience. Let me pray with you.
Father in heaven, I know my heart is challenged by these words. There are many days where I'd rather indulge myself, do away with any suffering, follow my own desires, instead of take up these conditions that Jesus lays down. But I pray, Father, that in our hearts, each one of us would make the commitment and accept the challenges that might come in our lives in the here and now because we're followers of Christ. I pray that we would see by your grace that this is eternally worthwhile. And I pray that you would give us light to see the glorious King and his kindness to us in calling us to make this commitment. We ask you for your grace each day to cultivate this attitude and to grow more and more so that we do these things more consistently in our lives. We ask you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.